the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. Let's talk money. Let's talk investing. Let's see what's working and not working on the markets. Kind of a dull time, isn't it? Well, sort of. Janet Yellen and the Federal Reserve did nothing yesterday, and the markets liked that. They liked it a lot. Um, where does it go, though? You know, does it hold? Does it not hold? Does it go into the next day? Um... A lot of people think the Federal Reserve is probably on hold because of the election and because of global markets. Hmm. Right? It's a little maddening at times, talking about Wall Street. But with that being said, that's what I do. So, by all means, let's do it. Um, Federal Reserve turned more dovish yesterday as the market basically thought it was going to be more status quo. The dot plot plotted the way the market wanted, which is to say the Fed dialed back its glide path projections, not only for 2016, but for 2017, 2018, and the longer run as well. I'm telling you, this is, I don't want to use a word incorrectly. I don't want to say ponderous. But this is a crazy amount of easy money for a crazy amount of time. And that should have people saying, like, why are they doing this? And they're doing it because there's a crazy amount of weakness. And that's not the best way to have it go about for you. Um, Like, for instance, let's say you have a high school football team and there's 10 teams in the district, but nine of them have, you know, only 10 players. And you've got 40 players on your team. When you win, you're going to be like, woo, we won. But you're going to look at the opposition and say, that wasn't that great, was it? That did, Yeah, it's weak. So I'll take it. You know, I'll work with it. As a guy who owns real estate, I like seeing the lower rates. Uh, as a guy who wants to own more real estate, I like seeing the lower rates. As a guy who owns stocks, I like seeing the lower rates. Uh, corporations have easier access to money. Jenny Yellen's press conference was a bit of a mess of communication. I'm not going back to the good old days of Ben Bernanke or wishing for Alan Greenspan, but she's not my favorite Federal Reserve Chairman. You know, I I collect all the cards, 
and uh, Federal Reserve members. She's okay, but I'd hope she'd be clear with what she said. The only thing she sounded clear about was the Fed isn't clear about the outlook. That point was evident in the directive itself based on the understanding that there wasn't a specific risk bias stated in the directive. What we learned from the Fed is that it's not as data-dependent as it likes to make itself out to be. A 4.9% unemployment rate, a 2.3% year-over-year increase in core CPI offered enough data that the Fed should act, or at the very least be a little bit more hawkish on inflation. Those are good numbers. And if, again, that's the, it comes back down to the question, though, of are the, what are the numbers really telling us? Um, because eh, my life is good. But a lot of people that I work with, I've seen laid off. I've seen reduced salaries, reduced hours. Um, and it's not just my, my media world. It's the financial world that I see it in, too. Um, it's worthy of note. There could be no takeaway other than that. You know, the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, they've adopted negative interest rates. They're so concerned. The People's Bank of China has cut its required reserve ratio five times since last February, and the Fed Reserve refuses to act, or it's scared to act, on its own data-dependent guidelines. I'm not liking this. Again, will I go with it? Sure. But, it's again, there's something in there that's telling you. Like, uh, you see the brownie? You know, when you make brownies, you don't let them cook long enough. They're gooey inside. Something's gooey inside in, in, in not a good way right now. Oh, I could use a brownie right now. Oil prices are up. Yay! Yields across the curve are all lower post-Fed. Banks, I, I love banks. Banks have been my favorite, one of my favorite investments and just great long-term investment. Oftentimes I'll say, if you get really liquored up and you go into a bank and ask for a million dollars, you're going to say, you're drunk, get out of here. They'll look at your data and they'll say, okay, we'll lend you money. But banks don't work in this environment. Interest rates are too low. Uh, they can get act, act, act activity, but they, they can't get profitability. Japan posted another year-over-year decline in its exports, down 4%. That's the fifth straight month that's happened. Ancient Chinese secret, huh? I want to go back to the days of the 1970s where you could have blatantly nationalist and almost racist commercials on television. The Asian woman doing your laundry. <laughs> Seriously? In a whisk commercial? You've got ring around the collar. Um, okay. I, I don't know which one I'd rather watch. The ring around the collar commercials or the erectile dysfunction commercials? Man throwing a football through a, a, a tire. Really? How do you explain that to children? Caterpillar issued a sales and earnings warning for the first quarter, but still managed to stand by its full-year outlook. FedEx posted better than expected results, but lowered its U.S. and global GDP views for the year. Initial jobless claims rose 7,000 to 265,000. And that's pretty good. So they've been holding in that 250 to 300,000 range since July 2014. 
Um, the continuing claims for, of a number of Americans who are unemployed and go and get unemployment checks, although they mail them to you now versus going and getting them, sit at 2.23 million Americans. The fourth quarter, current account balance narrowed to $125 billion. The Philadelphia Fed Index surged to a 12.4 reading in March from negative 2.8 in February. That's a positive reading, and that's a weird surge. And that's economic activity in the Philadelphia general area. So that's kind of where we're hanging things, and the day started out more positive. Um and it, it's gotten a little weaker in some markets, like the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. It's, it's kind of gone sideways for the Dow. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. FedEx said something kind of interesting in their conference call. They said retailers should be paying more for shipments to help offset the cost of expanding its network to meet the growing demands of e-commerce. That's an enormous interest in people having things delivered to themselves, it, it, it does not change one iota, the input cost of the delivery. So FedEx is saying it's spending a lot of money changing their business plan as more and more people shop online. And they want the retailers to help pay for it. Oh, good golly. Yeah, good luck with that. Just raise your prices. That's what you're going to have to do. So, and they say just because Amazon's created a network of warehouses to support its retail operations doesn't mean that could translate into something akin to FedEx's massive network for deliveries. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Call Rob Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's go to a phone call. Jay, how are you, Jay? Good morning, how are you? Tell me a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Well, I'm from Pine Street Brewery. We're a small brewery based in San Francisco. We've been making beer for about three years now. We make uh, two styles, basically a pale ale, we call it Adam's Water, and an IPA, uh, Pine Street IPA. But we're just a small brewery based in, uh, in San Francisco. So the tickets go on sale today, perfect day for it, St. Patrick's Day, for San Francisco Beer Fest. You can get more information at sfbeerfest.com. Um, what is Pine Street Brewery, and where is it? So Pine Street Brewery was something that my buddy and I started a couple of years ago. We were avid home brewers. We were making beer once a week, uh, sharing it with our friends and family, and it kind of just took off from there. One day I decided that that seemed like a better option than being a commercial lender, which is what I was doing at the time. Now, why the San Francisco International Beer Festival? What, do you, what does your group get out of working with that group? It's a great charity that goes to help the school, um, helps keep kids in school. But it's also a really great uh, way for us to interact with the beer community. People in San Francisco, we're so small, most people don't know who we are. So it allows us to uh, kind of get out, get our name out, 
in over three years, we've made friends. So it's a great op- opportunity for us to kind of see our friends and uh, spend time sharing a beer with them. What's interesting to note about this is uh, craft beer is obviously something that's done very, very well. And I would say the media has treated it incredibly well, but the, the sales market's done well. How, how's your business doing? How's your brewery growing? Uh, thank, uh, thankfully, every year is better better than the last. Uh, as you said, more people know about it. More people are interested in finding out more about it. So we've been able to kind of just start with one beer and kind of work our way up and make a couple different things. So I'd say year over year, we're doing really well. So we're talking about the 33rd annual San Francisco International Beer Festival. It's going to be Saturday, May 21st. Um, it's going to be 7 to 10 p.m. There's different types of tickets. You can learn more at sfbeerfest.com. That's sfbeerfest.com. What's pretty cool is this is all tied towards a nonprofit Telegraph Hill preschool, and getting kids into school earlier and younger and sooner is, is obviously nothing but a good thing. But having a day of drinking beer, too, not so bad, especially when it's craft beer. So what's hot right now at Pine Street, Jay? Well, for us, we just put out our seasonal. It's called uh, Brain Drops. It's an India Pale Colch. It's a hybrid cell, so it's something that you're not going to see a lot. Uh, lighter uh, lighter in, in style, but uh, it definitely has a lot of great tropical hops running through it. It's for just making a nice, unique beer. Great, great for St. Patrick's Day. Now, I've interviewed quite a few brewers in my life, which is kind of interesting. Um, there always seems to be a partner, a two two guy scenario. How did you meet your partner? I met my partner through uh, his wife. She was my my old next door neighbor, and we were coworkers uh, ten years ago. And when they relocated to San Francisco, uh, she said, "Hey, you got to meet this guy. You guys have a lot in common. You're gonna get along great." And we hit it off. We became friends. Uh, and then he had a, a strong sales background. And I had a strong financial background. So in terms of a business standpoint, it kind of made sense. Who is the business person in the relationship now, and who's the the brewer? Uh, His name is David Alexander. Uh, He is uh, definitely the the business development. And and then I I, I take over all the brewing and operations uh, responsibilities. I'm fascinated by all the chemistry that goes into brewing, and I just enjoy drinking craft beer. And I... I'm not one of those people that actually wants to make it. Uh, someone once got me a homemade kit. I was like, no, too much work. <laughs> um, much rather would drink it. But thanks for joining us today, Jay. Thank you, Jay Holiday from the – you're, you're very welcome. Sorry I was a little off uh, on the start of that. It's Jay Holiday, San Francisco brewer of the Pine Street Brewery. Um, he's participating in the 33rd annual San Francisco International Beer Festival. Um, I've heard about it in the past. I'm going to be stopping by this year, uh, May 21st. Uh, Saturday, it's right around the corner, general admission from 7 to 10 p.m. There's also kind of a, a brewmaster admission that gets you in at 5, and that's pretty cool. You get to meet some of the brewers and, and talk things up. Some people are really like Star Wars bonkers over craft beer in a cool way. Um, you can find out more. Tickets go on sale today at sfbeerfest.com. That's sfbeerfest.com. And what's really nice about it is it's all going to raise money for a preschool. And preschools have to raise money, and you think about sometimes they do galas and sometimes they do uh, fairs and get you to buy cookies, but beer? Seriously? I'm in. I like the message. sfbeerfest.com. That's sfbeerfest.com. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. 
Tim Cook is suggesting that Apple could be forced to build a surveillance operating system. And a lot of people come down on this pro-Apple. A lot of people are coming down on, like, well, our government does have something where if they need information to help with a crime or a criminal, uh, we got warrants. They're playing the right way. But the war of the words between Apple and the FBI continues to heat up ahead of next week's March 22nd hearing over whether Apple should be help extract data from San Bernardino shooter Saeed Farouk's government-issued iPhone. Um, the new words from Tim Cook, he's warning about a not-too-implausible dystopic future where the government could force tech companies to build software that spies on their users. Um, is that being a little too aggressive? Is it? Essentially, Cook is arguing that the legal rationale behind the FBI's argument the All Writs Act is a 200-year-old statute that doesn't apply to this situation. If it did, that would be a slippery slope that would require Apple to unlock personal data that might not be related to a terrorist investigation. It seems to me, just from following this story for a couple weeks now, that the federal government can get into your phone at this point in time, but they're trying to use Apple to set a precedent and Apple's trying to say, look, we can't do this because there's so much encryption in the world. There's so much, like, uh, we want to, governments to trust us because just because the United States government wants this information, we may not, and let's say we like that. We may not want to comply and do this for Iran or China, where sales are just as important to us, um, or Russia. Where do you draw the line of, of what government do you let in? And where do you draw a line on when do you show the world that your your software can be opened up. They don't want to show that. They want to show the world, the business world, that, hey, we're, we're you know, encryption strong. Anyway, you can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Don't forget, San Francisco Beer Fest coming up in a couple weeks, uh, many weeks. Um, you can sign up for the event at sfbeerfest.com. That's sfbeerfest.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Chris Yachia, tech editor for TheStreet.com. How are you, Chris? I'm good, Rob. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Um, New York City is kind of a happening city to be in for St. Patrick's Day, is it not? Yep, the green beer is flowing, the green bagels are being eaten. It's a it's a great day um, to be in New York and enjoy the enjoy the weather um, and enjoy the holiday. What is the weather like there now? Is it nice? Yeah, we got about sixty-ish. Not as nice as you know in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, but it's starting to warm up and um, you know spring will soon be here. So that's something that we're all looking forward to. I remember being under thirty-five in the city of New York on St. Patrick's Day. Good day to be a bachelor. Good day to be a, a young man, so to speak. But uh, I digress. Let's let's talk tech. Let's talk Fitbit. You've done a new Fitbit review. Uh, what do we need to know about the Blaze? So I tested the Blaze out for about a week or so, um, and it's a good device, but I can't put my full weight behind it. There's just too many issues um, surrounding the Blaze that I thought, you know, made me maybe perk up and say, well, okay, you know, it's it's cheaper than an Apple Watch, but 
if you really want the full power of a smartwatch, which is how they're they're positioning this, um, despite what they say, and they call it a smart fitness watch. Um, I'd recommend spending the extra hundred hundred and fifty bucks and going and get the Apple Watch. Um, you know, the software, you know, is a little buggy. I had some problems with it, but it's not anything that would concern me. Um, it's but the main thing is is it's just not attractive looking. Um, it looks very blocky. It looks like it's a first version of something that was built um, in an R&D department, and then they just kind of showed this to the consumer. It's interesting to note that um, I had a Fitbit HR, and I think it was HR. It was the heart rate. Yeah, that's it. Um, I just got tired of charging it. Um, I got tired of, of, you know, wearing it. Um, the cute girl at the gym, she had an Apple Watch, and she stopped wearing it after about two or three months. Is there some disappointment in this kind of uh, wearable tech? Is there something that consumers just aren't clicking with over time? Yeah, there is, and you've seen it a little bit in Fitbit's numbers. Um, they say that 70, around seven, between 70 and 75% um, of the people who've purchased devices still actively use them. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's not a sign that's, you know, that's a great statistic. Uh, a great statistic to me would be anything over 80, 85% and approaching 90. That leaves a lot of wiggle room for people who are going out and buying um, a Fitbit device and trying it out for a few months or, you know, a, some period of time and then getting tired with it because they just don't see the utility of it. And when they have a phone that can do pretty much everything that um, these wearable devices can do, and we sleep with our phones, we have our phones next to us, you know, 24 hours a day. So it's not something that, you know, they've really shown um, – that is a must-have, at, at least for right now. And the whole, like, heartbeat sensor thing, you know, it, it was cute. I'd look at it and it'd say something along the lines of, like, hey, your resting heartbeat last night was this, and I didn't really know what it meant. So I, I, at some point in time, I, I was a monkey with a shiny new object that I finally put the shiny new object down. I, I'll get back to it, I think, in probably two or three years as the products develop and, and get better, but... It just feels early for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I had issues with the optical um, sensor, which is what you're talking about just now. Um, it I saw a spike in my heart rate, and I didn't understand it, and I was just sitting there on the couch. Like, it didn't make any sense. I think it may have been, you know, clothing, or it just may have been a malfunction. But I've seen and heard and talked to others that have had similar issues where the software just kind of, like, malfunctions and you just kind of like need to like play around with it um, and get it back working I mean that that's an issue especially as some of these devices um, you know are going to be used to potentially help you know save you from a life-threatening event like a heart attack Apple has you know put out patents that maybe you know uh, the Apple watch could potentially save you from your next heart attack and call 911 when it when it senses that you're going to have um, an event like that, so it, the software and, and, and the intelligence in these devices needs to get a lot better than what it is currently for them to have you know, any sort of long-lasting hope. So Apple's got an event coming up, um, I believe, on Monday, and Apple events used to be something spectacular and 
kind of awe-inspiring, but I think the last two years they're kind of losing that, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, especially this event, you know, um, you know, there's not a whole lot that's going to be, you know, earth-shattering. Um, and I think some of that is the fact that, you know, reporters have gotten um, so good at finding out what's going to be announced at the event that it's just not that big, you know, unveiling, and there's no surprise behind it anymore. People pretty much know what to expect going into it. You know, there are a couple um, small things that are don't get leaked, but pretty much everything is known at this point. And you're right, you know, over the past couple of years, um, you know, whether it's the quality of the products or uh, or just the fact that, you know, we've grown, to, we've grown accustomed to smartphones and iPad and tablets um, and even, you know, smartwatches, um, there's just not that pizzazz behind Apple events really anymore. Do we think the smaller phone that's expected, do we think that's going to sell well in the United States, or is that more of an international product? Yeah, from my perspective, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I personally have a, a 5S. I haven't upgraded to a 6 or a 6S yet. Um, I like the size of the, uh, the 5S. Um, I know a lot of other people who, you know, here in the United States who like four-inch phone, but it primarily is geared towards um, emerging markets, especially countries like India, and that's because, you know, they want the prestige of the Apple brand, um, but they can't afford to pay for the latest and greatest. So with the iPhone, um, which, they're call, which they will probably call the iPhone SE, uh, the price point will be between four and five hundred dollars on it. Apple will still have super high margins um, because they're only changing a couple things inside of it, like app. They're adding Apple Pay. Um, they'll add an, a, a new chip, which has been announced um, in the iPhone 6s. So they're not really adding. They're not doing a whole lot of extra R&D on this, so they can have their margins and they can cut the cost, and it'll sell like hotcakes in you know places like India and other emerging markets. What else is going on in the world of tech, in your opinion? What are you seeing as far as interesting? You know, probably the next big thing that comes out is, is Tesla's event at, at the end of the month when they unveil the Model 3. Um, this is really what Tesla's kind of been gearing to, gearing towards um, for pretty much, you know, the entire existence of the company, is to get to a mass market vehicle um, that's, you know, roughly around $35,000, $40,000 that has a 200-mile range and is not an internal combustion engine. You know, they're all about expanding, you know, electric vehicles. And this is this is their big unveiling. This is what, um, especially from a stock perspective, this is what has been, you know, the future the company is riding on. So it's important that they get this right and that when it does come uh, to market in late 2017, um, that it sells, you know, really well. Because otherwise, um, you know, Tesla's, probably could be in, in, in big trouble if it doesn't. Speaking of big trouble, if it doesn't, there's been a lot of conversation about Apple and the Apple car that's 2020, 2021, somewhere around there. Uh, why, watching Tesla, why would Apple want to get into the car business? Because Tesla's not changing the world. Not enough people have them. But I, I get it, but I'm kind of asking a, a question that Wall Street's asking. It doesn't seem to be enough cars being sold. You're right, and this is something that I've posited, um, you know, before in an article on thestreet.com, and I've spoken to a bunch of sources recently, some venture capitalists, about what, why they think Apple is getting into it. And 
I mean, it's clear that the wave of the future is electric vehicles. I mean, you saw BMW CEO the other day come out and speak about electric vehicles. GM is putting a, a huge amount of effort and resources into the Chevy Bolt. Um, and, we're, you know, the Nissan Leaf, even though it's not selling super well, it's still um, getting resources from, from Nissan. The internal combustion engine is probably going to um, continue to decline, you know, over the next five to ten years, because people are realizing um, that not only is an electric vehicle super nice, it can be ni- nice looking, and they don't have to worry about running out of, you know, range, but it's good for the environment, and and we're trying to break a dependence on oil. And yes, there are issues about, you know, how you get your electricity. Um, but in the long run, this is the wave of the future. So, you know, Apple clearly sees that this market is developing. And, you know, this is a huge opportunity for them, given the fact that, you know, 18 million new cars are sold roughly every year. And, yes, electric vehicles are still a small part of that, but there's the opportunity for that market to explode. And, and Apple clearly sees that as the wave of the future. It's interesting because I'm shopping for a new vehicle, and all I want is the Apple entertainment system in the car or the Google entertainment system in the car. I kind of want the Apple because I'm an Apple kind of person. Um, and I don't necessarily want an Apple car, but I, I want that console, and it's not there yet for the, the vehicles that I want. So um, anyway, thanks very much. It's Chris Siaccia with TheStreet.com. He is the tech editor with TheStreet.com, Chris Siaccia. He joins us on Thursdays to talk tech uh, and push the envelope a little forward and see what's out there. Certainly Tesla and Apple and Fitbit uh, all have stocks as well. Take a break here. Be right back. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now. Back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Today in the L.A. Times, there's a story that says two active Southern California faults could create a big one by rupturing together. A new study shows how a 7.5 quake could begin on the San Jacinto Fault and continue to onto the San Andreas. And that's an area where we get a lot of electricity, a lot of fuel, a lot of water into the state. Pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie San Andreas, I highly recommend you do, uh, especially if you don't live in the California, because you will never move here. And that's exactly, exactly what I want. Um, keep the inventory going as far as what real estate is out here, uh, what inventory there is. I don't want you to have it. So uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, but after a big earthquake, some Californians go, you know what? I'm moving. I'm moving back to East Coast. Um, and I get that. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. I'm Rob Black. Uh, Chad, you're a financial planner. People can find you at newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. In, in my book, I wrote a chapter called Home Equity Loans Are for Losers. And the reason I did that was I wanted to point out that home equity loans are basically a line of credit. And you could actually get into trouble with them with with where you put that money, why you're spending that money. I want to talk a little bit about this because I, I think it's, although not a popular trend today, it is something that people view incorrectly. The home is not a piggy bank. 
Yeah, and we'll cycle through a trend like that again sometime in the future. You know, we went through a debt bubble. It'll take 10 years, but people forget about it and it'll probably happen again. Um, it's it's one of those things where, first of all, most banks aren't willing to do this anymore. Right. Or it's, they cancel the line of credits that are out there. Right. And so if you set it up, it's really for an, an extension of your emergency reserve. So let's say you're in an industry that there's a lot of turnover. So tech sales, for example, a lot of people that are in sales in the tech industry, they jump from company to company, and three or four years later, they end up at the same company again. It's kind of right. like who's the hot shot for the year. So those type of people, rather than having six months' worth of emergency reserves, they need to have more like a year's worth of emergency reserves, but that's tough to get to for a lot of families. And when you're trying to get enough into your 401k to max the match, you've got kids, you've got you know, other issues that you're dealing with, to, to accumulate that much cash is tough. So I, I would look at it as an emergency reserve um, extension and only use it for an emergency. And again, you and I differ at times because like, I don't like home equity lines at all. Um, you borrow basically and hope a, a meteor doesn't hit your house. And sometimes meteors hit your house. You take out $50,000 and you know, there's an interest on it. Mm-hmm. So you have to you know, outperform that interest. Otherwise, you know, uh, it starts working against you pretty quickly. You assume no other crisis hits. Like you just brought up like it's emergency money for some people, but sometimes emergencies hit back to back to back. And now you have nowhere left to go, and suddenly your home is being foreclosed on. So I'm not a big fan of home equity lines. I think we were taught by our parents, like, hey, tap the house when you need money. You know, get a, a refi, get a second mortgage, a third mortgage, things along those lines. Those rules, I don't think they apply today. I think they should be um, really frowned upon and, and feared. Yeah, it's, it's you know, first it was tap the home equity line of credit to to buy tech stocks. You know, remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> so that just nailed a lot of people. And then it was turn around and tap the equity line to put more into your home, which then fell in value. The only time I like people to take equity out of their home is if they're going to go use it to make another real estate investment, Okay. you know, where they can take enough money out to put 30% down on another property, have enough positive cash flow to pay both loans. Then that way it's, it's, it's a good overall deal if that family is prepared to do it, meaning you're maxing out your 401ks, you've got years worth of income saved up on the sideline in addition to your emergency reserves so you can deal with vacancies. The ugliest, one of the ugliest financial scams that I've seen out there is when people pull home equity out of their house to buy either stocks from somebody or an annuity or a life insurance product. That is one of the worst scams and the most heavily sold issues out there, and I mean, there's videos all over YouTube about it. Which is interesting that you bring that up, because in our industry, we can't use the word scam unless it truly is a scam. I mean, it's something that can get you sued, but a lot of people are being sold, you know, an Amazon bestseller, and it's not a bestseller. It's a guy who does a vanity press of his own book and calls it a bestseller because mm-hmm. it's tough to check those kind of things. Right. And some of them even get on, on, on PBS, and they're telling people to take money out of their home to put into a life insurance product, and it's a, a, you know, a win-win. Like, I hate that. It drives me nuts. My, my problem with home equity lines of credit is people buying cars. Buying stuff that they really shouldn't have bought right. because they're they're like, ooh, I got eighty thousand from the house and I'm gonna go buy an eighty thousand dollar car when the lifestyle doesn't really make sense for buying an eighty thousand dollar car. Yeah, they use a an, a loan that has a variable interest rate to go out and buy depreciating assets, so you're compounding your your stupidity. I'm with you. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com, or find him at newfocusfinancial.com. Americans and St. Patrick's Day. Uh, we spend money. We spend big money on St. Patrick's Day. Um, drink Irishly. It's the one day of the year where pretty much everyone's Irish, or so they say. It could mean a big influx of green for retailers. About $4.4 billion 
is spent on the holiday. That's pretty impressive. Um, about 125 million Americans are likely to celebrate the Irish cultural holiday this year. Believe it or not, that's crazy to me, with each person expected to spend $35.37 on part um, of the celebration. That's down a little bit from last year. It could be that you know we're retailing, shopping a little bit less year over year, and not necessarily blaming that on the holiday. Um, the holiday is most associated with drinking alcohol, uh, particularly Guinness or beer that's dyed green. Um, be cautious. A DUI in the state of California probably will cost you about $10,000 first one, about $20,000 for the second one, and that's not good. People all across the United States will be celebrating St. Patrick's Day and throughout the week sometimes. <laughs> um, there's parades and things going on. It's a big deal. It's a big money deal. Um, the drunkest of holidays, right? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and more. Market is digesting the Fed decision and the outlook. Currency market is very volatile right now. Continued rise in oil prices and other commodities. There's Caterpillar issued a first quarter warning. Financials and healthcare underperforming financials because of the Federal Reserve and the low interest rates. Strength today in materials, energy, industrials, utilities, consumer staples, and telco. Weakness in financials and healthcare. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 